Hey everybody, welcome back to Gear 30, this little program of ours on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we've got another Shop Talk episode for you, and we've got back on the podcast, Rachel and Drew Harding, owners of the Spokane Alpine House. Now, the last time we talked to Rachel and Drew, it was actually episode 160 of this Gear 30 podcast. We talked a lot about their very, very interesting and compelling leasing program that they run out of the Spokane Alpine House. And we'll include a link in the show notes of this episode in case you missed that conversation the first time around. But today, we are talking a bit about this past winter season. It was an extremely busy one for the Alpine House. We talk about skiing with kids and not skiing with kids. <laughs> um, Rachel has thoughts and some tips and strategies, maybe, on that front. Moving on quickly... We also talk about a category of gear that I might know the absolute least about when it comes to sort of snow sports equipment, and that would be heated socks. I don't think we've ever talked about heated socks on Gear 30, and fortunately, Drew knows this category pretty well, and so it basically became a one-on-one consulting session, you know, for me with Drew. So that's a bit of what we have in store for you here in this conversation. And so let's go ahead and talk with Rachel and Drew. Here we go. All right. Well, I am very happy to be here once again with Rachel and Drew. Drew wearing a very fancy little jacket. It's not that fancy. It's mostly just cool. But I did just ask him if that was like a hunting jacket or a smoking jacket. And actually, let's just be straight up here. Rachel was like, no, that's his getting shit done jacket. So, Drew, I hope you've had a productive day given your attire. You know, it it has been. But the, the jacket, I wouldn't put that much into it. <laughs> oh, it's... you're taking credit? You're taking credit? <laughs> ah, no, no, definitely not taking credit. Okay. Uh, the the to-do list is keeping me in line. Okay, okay. Well, it's nice to be talking with you guys again. And actually, more full disclosure, we actually had a pretty cool conversation yesterday where, man, we kind of ran the gamut yesterday. I think in terms of subjects we talked about, we maybe won't go quite as wide ranging today on this one, but uh, we certainly have some things to talk about. And I think we want to get started with uh, maybe Rachel, I'll have you field this one first. Talk a little bit about this winter season for you all. Oh my gosh, this winter season. Um, Well, I'd really say it was one for the books uh, and one for the books in a lot of positive, a lot of positive ways and some really challenging ways. And there were triumphs and there were probably a few tears. And, um, you know, I think everyone's experienced that. I actually was thinking a lot about that today. We all look into ourselves, right? And the situation that we're in every single day and and really everyone's doing that. And this last year was crazy because I think we all thought we were going to get a reprieve from the beloved COVID and we really didn't, you know, I mean, it was another year where it was high stress and people scared and people sick of it. And 
everyone's opinions and our job is to listen and to not to not worry too much or to not share too much our own opinions right but just to be respectful of what was going on and and so I think there was um the, in terms of skiing it was crazy the sport still grew in 2020 I think we grew something like 20 or 30 percent and everyone wanted to get outside and everyone wanted to ski and and just wanted to do something and Drew, I don't know what your thoughts were on this, but I think we kind of thought we'd balance out last year. Touring exploded in 2020, people just getting out into nature uh, and really nothing slowed down. And if anything, it was just amped up even more. Um, so the demand was huge. But then this year, unlike last year, we had the challenges of shipping. And so there was you know, gear that didn't show up. Uh, there was product that we were waiting on. I mean, we had product showing up in March <laughs> that was supposed to arrive in August. Uh, and so, um, funneling that was crazy. And then I would say the other just crazy challenge was, you know, trying to train staff. Um, it was hard to get staff early. Uh, and then our season had basically hit about the time that we had our staff. And so, you know, in some regards, I really feel for our team because they, they really had to hit the ground running without knowing everything. And we set in our store a really high bar. So we set a really, really high bar that we train well. And that when someone comes in, they're going to get good information. And if we don't know information, we're going to let them know that. But the learning curve was steep and quick this year. What do you have to add to that, Drew? Uh, I think she hit it. I mean, our area didn't get as much snow as we normally had. So we see, we saw some of those concerns from customers. Um, the lucky thing is all the resorts manage their snow really well. And so the groomers and the trail skiing, it was fantastic throughout the year. Um, but circling back to the employees yet, yeah, normally all, we're, everyone is hired and we're starting the training process in August. And this year we didn't hire our last person until end of October. So you couple months behind the, what's normal for us. And then you think about if it's the end of October and we're hiring now we've got training, then you've got Thanksgiving holidays and you're right into ski season and resorts opening. So it was a, a steep learning curve. But our, our staff picked it up well, and they adapted, and it was it was a great season overall. I mean, we have no complaints. And the ski areas in the surrounding Spokane area, things are all closed now? Yeah. Um, a couple resorts had their closing weekend last weekend, and majority of them closed that first weekend in April. So the there's a total of five resorts and two of them were open till last week, but everything's done now. And so not much of a backcountry season right now. Like is, is the whole kind of community already shifting to starting to think about boats and bikes and other stuff? Um, I wouldn't say everybody is, is switching gears. Um, there's still a lot of snow to be had in the mountains. Um, the Selkirk Range up in North Idaho, there's a lot of people still touring that, um, and that'll go on for a while. I think with the lack of snow conditions and with how much it's warmed up, people probably aren't as excited about it, um, but there's still a lot of guys getting out. It's 
in the our typical customer when golf courses are cleared off and trails are starting to dry up we do see a big shift of those guys kind of moving on to the next spring activity and then there's a lot of families that are involved in traditional sports so soccer is kicked up baseball is going on so they've kind of moved on in that regards as well another thing i wanted to ask you guys about was um skiing as a family this year uh uh rachel you laughed that means you have to go uh talk a little bit about your family ski dynamics this season well this year was interesting so so last season we you know we own a ski shop so we got ellie our daughter we started she started skiing at around two and realistically for anyone who has kids I mean, that's a little early. (laughs) You're really doing it more for you than you're doing it for your kiddo. Um, And they're having fun, but they're also crying. And last year I was pregnant. So I was pregnant and we had a two-year-old. And I do remember last year we were hauling everything and we were just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Well, this year we have a three and a half year old and a one year old. And we we did it again and we did it. I, a lot more this year, actually. Huh. And nothing, I would say in some regards, a lot of stuff didn't change. We would get all of our gear. And for some reason, I have found little little human beings require so much more gear uh, than big human beings. Hmm. So, you know, you tout everything, you're carrying everything, you're carrying babies, you're carrying kids. And I think one day, Drew and I were walking along and we're both sweating and we're carrying a crying child and another kiddo. And we looked at each other and we just went, Oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe people do this. <laughs> you know, Like this is, you know, we tell that this is this family sport and it's crazy, but this is crazy. Mm. And, you know, we're kind of laughing and kind of laughing, kind of half serious. And then we actually start skiing and, you know, within five minutes, she's just screaming with happiness and she's so excited and she's a year older that she has a little bit more, you know, she's developed some more skills and your heart just fills up so big and you just go, wow, I really get it. I get why this is a family sport. Um, all that stuff that's really hard is, is worth it. And it really is. So I don't know if you want to add to it, Drew. No, it's same thing. I mean, we, you lug the skis, you lug all the stuff. And by the time you get there, she's taken a glove off, ripped her helmet off and like, wow, what's going on? And you get a couple runs in and like this year was, it was huge turning point. Like we'd ridden the magic carpet last year and this year she was like, I want to go ride that, like pointing to the chairlift Mm. and told her, Hey, we gotta, we gotta get to the bottom and you get to ride back up. And needless to say, we got to the bottom and then she had to go to the bathroom. So that was an ordeal. Three-year-old porta pot, bottom of the hill, ski gear on. But seeing when we got on the lift, I mean, it was just pure excitement. Like mm. something that you can't even explain. Seeing how excited she was, we took a couple selfies on the lift, and it was that was it. Ever since then, she's like, "When are we going skiing? When we can? When can we ride the lift again? I want to go ride the chairlift." And so, at the end of the day, that's kind of what makes it all worthwhile. And you keep dragging all that gear, and you keep doing it over and over. We, we've talked to a lot of families that have kids that are older than ours. I mean, we're in the chaos phase, right? 
So but we've talked to a lot of friends um, that have put the work in and that really what, you know, it's this investment. And now their kids are, I mean, they're still young, maybe eight, nine, 10, 11, you know. And one thing that I think is so cool about skiing or snowboarding is that it's the one area in our world where there's this, still this huge permission slip for kids to be free. Um, and then when you kind of think about it, you go, oh my gosh, we're letting, I mean, you see, you see nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds riding around with their friends all the time with no, you know, no parents and they meet up with their parents later, but you think about it and you're like, wow, you're in the woods in the winter time in snow, riding chairlifts that are high up off the ground. And we allow this and it works out fantastic. Um, and it's just, it's a really special thing that you really don't see anywhere else. Interesting. So you're claiming there is something that is kind of unique to the sport of skiing as opposed to, I don't know, rafting or riding bikes or playing basketball or something that really is something different and unique about the experience of skiing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just, I think about when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, many, many years ago, a couple years ago, <laughs> I guess not too many, but it seems yeah. like a few, uh, it, it does seem like things were different. I remember I would go play in the woods and climb trees and, and know that I had to be home for dinner, you know? And at some point that changed at some point we've kind of lost this ability to let children be a little bit independent. And I mean, we all feel this as parents, but skiing is different. I just, you talk to parents all the time and they're like, Oh yeah, Johnny's over with Max and they're skiing and, and, and they're eight year old kids, you know, and there's this full trust that they're on the mountain going on a run together. And again, I think about it and I go, wow, it's really crazy just having that freedom in a place like where it is in the mountains, in the winter time, in the cold, on chairlifts. It's funny. I think about everything different. I I'll be the first to tell you, I try to be, you know, brave and ski hard. And after I had Ellie, I started riding chairlifts and I started to get this panic when we'd get to steep points, not thinking about me, but thinking, Oh my gosh, my daughter is going to ride this someday by herself. And it actually freaked me out. And now I'm starting to I'm starting to figure it out and have more peace with it. But I still think it's really cool. These are very important things for children to learn and do. And in, this independence is fantastic. And I, I just think it's a treat that we can do that uh, with skiing or boarding. Yeah, I also think it is a clear, maybe the clearest signal that how much parents love these, you know, their children. Because I often look at parents with the kids and I'm just like... <laughs> I'm really glad I get to just go ski what I want right now. And so this must be that, you know, that biological switch, that switch of compassion that gets flipped. And I'm glad you have it because I, I don't know. Jury's out on whether I would be doing that. <laughs> or I'll just sit. If I ever have kids, I'll just ship them off with you guys and be like, apparently they like to ride magic carpets. You're like you're going to Spokane again for the winter, kids. Oh man, that's that's funny. And Rachel's smiling right now because I have a. I'd say I'm a little bit more on the compassion side when your three year old little sweetheart daughter comes up to you and goes, "Daddy, are we going skiing today?" And you have to tell her, "No, mom and dad are going skiing today." Kind kind of breaks your heart a little bit. Rachel's okay with saying, "Nah, oh, we're, we're going to go tough skiing." One. Okay, 
Okay. Rachel, so, we'll go ski and then we'll just leave my future kids and your kids with Drew uh, on the magic carpet. Whoa. So I think this is... That sounds like a phenomenal idea. Totally. And I, and I will say, I am sitting here going, oh, it's so great and whatever. But you're also hearing me say... Oh, it's so great that they'll have their independence. What we put the work right. in. You're you like know? the thing about skiing is it's wonderful that you can just leave your little children off in the woods by themselves. Like I see what you're doing. I get it. And now. everyone's okay. okay with it. Yeah, yeah. Got it. It's like yeah. There's a there's a organizational neglect that we allow to let then lets you go ski whatever you want. I get where you're coming from, Rachel. Okay. Hey, there's both sides. I love I love my babies and I love my children, but I am selfish when it comes to skiing. I it is my favorite sport in the world. I love it with a huge passion. And so it is a sacrifice and you are 100% right. When you see those parents with those struggling kids, tip your hat to them and say, "Well, good for you." <laughs> We'll All right. <laughs> um, wow. I'm glad we covered that territory. And um, I- I'm very happy to get your philosophy of uh, adolescent independence when it comes to skiing, <laughs> mostly as a cover up that it just you're just looking for a philosophical argument for letting you go ski whatever you want to ski. So I'm really glad like we covered this, this. Not going well for my camp here. <laughs> hey, another thing we wanted to talk about. Um, this is going to be something that I think uh, is a topic that is really important for, frankly, the ski industry, certainly. But as we were talking the other day, I mean, this is big in the bike industry, too. And we were all just talking a little bit about, you know, the real power and importance of a good ski shop or a good bike shop, etc. And Rachel, I think you were the one who made a really interesting comment and I kind of seized on it. You, I think we were actually talking about other things and the the trick of, you know, bringing on employees when you already said in this conversation, you guys were, you know, a bit later on that than you are in other seasons. And talking about when somebody walks into a shop and uh, kind of just, you look at them, they look at you and they're like, Hey, so um, I'm so sorry, but I don't even know where to start here. You know, and and that kind of most elemental level of bringing somebody into skiing or mountain biking or what have you. And um, we kind of seized on that because I think that is such a critical moment, right? With whether this human being is going to have a good inroad into this thing that we've just talked about, we all love so much, skiing, you know, et cetera. Um, so just talk a little bit maybe about what you guys try to do at Spokane Alpine House when that sort of quote unquote never ever person shows up and has kind of that almost embarrassed or apologetic uh, demeanor about like, I'm sorry that I don't know more to even tell you like what I need. Yeah, Um you know, our store is pretty cool. Uh, we have people who have never skied in their lives before come in. And we have people who are extremely seasoned and have been doing it for 50, 60 years. And uh, we have, a, as you know, we have a pretty large lease program in our store. And a lot of times that's getting kids in. And all of a sudden you start talking to the parents. 
uh, and the parents are really intrigued in the sport and they want to do it with their kids or kids are really excited about it. And you say, Hey, let's go have a chat. Let's go, you know, let's go talk. And you end up going upstairs and the, this will happen a lot that, or that, uh, that people will say, Hey, gosh, I'm really sorry. I don't know anything. Uh, and they apologize. And instantly when they do that or when they apologize, I, my first goal and job is to comfort them and let them know they are not supposed to know anything. And that is absolutely okay if they don't know anything. And what we're going to do is we're going to ask them a lot of questions and we're going to find out what's important to them and where they want to be and where they are. And from that, we can tailor a perfect setup for them that's going to give them the ultimate experience. Um, I think too many times especially in a store like ours. I mean, you walk into our store and it looks very specialty. I think people walk in and are intimidated. They think, oh, they're only going to have the highest end stuff or they're only going to sell. They're going to try to sell me. Right. And our job is to instantly ha have them lose that fear. And we will always get them in the gear that is right for them. I do not care it, I, I don't even care to be honest. I don't care if I lose money on it. If they're, if in the long run, it's going to be a win. Cause what we find is it's always a win for us. If it's a win for them. Um, so that's our, our first job is just give this permission slip that it's okay that they don't know anything. Yeah. I, there's a lot of people that come in the store that have never maybe purchased their own gear before, or don't know where to even start. The last pair of boots they bought was at a swap and they said, my feet fit in them, I'll take them. So we really want to take that personal approach with people to kind of help let them let their guard down because we're just here at the end of the day, like Rachel said, is we want to make sure they get the right product for the right need that they have. And I think Rachel had, had said at one point in time, a um, long time ago, we don't care if we're, you don't sell a thousand dollar coat to the soccer mom who's just going to sit on the sidelines and wear it. She, she Maybe she only needs a $200 coat that she's not going to be sitting in the rain. It doesn't have to be the highest waterproofing, but it's it's fit the needs of, of what that person is actually looking for and what they need. Don't oversell them gear because you like it. Mm -hmm. Yes. We had... Um kind of an interesting, it, this was an, it was very eye opening. So, uh, we have really good reviews. If you actually look at our reviews, we're really proud of them. And, and one thing I'm actually always surprised by is people will leave a lengthy review very, and be very specific on, you know, how their needs were met and how they felt. And I mean, I'm really proud of it. Uh, but one day I kind of had an aha moment. So we, Drew and I um, recently finished building a home and we decided that it was time to upgrade our kitchenware from, you know, college 20 years ago. <laughs> we were like, okay, we can't have this stuff that we put together. We're actually going to update all of our, uh, all of our utensils and stuff for the kitchen. So we go to this place called the Kitchen Engine and truth be told, I'm not much of a cook. I'm not very good. I'm a little intimidated by it. Uh, and we walked in and instantly I was overwhelmed and, uh, we ended up talking to, uh, you know, one of the owners there and he walked us through, he probably spent, I would say at least an hour and a half with us and walked us through everything. I mean, we're talking everything. We needed everything. And he would say to us, Hey, this one is the more expensive one, but to be honest, get this one. It's better. 
Uh, and this is why. If you're, what kind of cooking are you going to do? Oh, you think this? Okay, get this versus this. And when we left and walked out the door, I looked at Drew and I said, I finally get how people feel when they walk in our store. I finally get it. And I understand it. Uh, because it was this, I don't even think we have that very much when you go into stores anymore. You know, it's, it's really rare that you get that really one-on-one time with people where they genuinely walk you through these things. And when it comes to kitchen utensils, for me, it was slightly intimidating for skis and these setups that people walk out the door and they're spending real money. It's intimidating. So I get it. It was the first time that it was just like, wow, okay, this makes sense. One thing I've seen too this year and all the years kind of in combined so a big thing that we see with um, people that are purchasing skis online, skis are easy. Someone looks at a graphic and goes, wow, that looks great. Or I've heard about this one. It looks like it's got good reviews. But it seems like everyone always gets tripped up on the binding. They don't know what break width to buy. They don't know what binding to buy, what the DIN means. They don't understand all, all the settings of it. So I probably see nine out of every 10 skis that comes in that someone purchased on online, they buy a binding from us because they're not sure or they need some guidance. So even the people that are confident enough to buy skis online, there's still elements of the gear that we find it really beneficial to them to come in and and chat with someone that knows about bindings, that knows about boots and why a boot should fit like it should, or how a binding is going to release or safety features of it. So, well, yeah. And I think bringing that in, we kind of circle back to most of us don't know everything we need to know, even about a given sport that we've been doing for a while. And so I think if I, you know, kind of have something that, you know, I know a number of other shop workers and shop owners will be listening to this conversation. And I think the biggest takeaway from this that I would love to just remind people of is when we have people coming in, and they're in that sort of apologetic uh, phase of, I'm sorry, I, I don't actually know what I need. We need to do what we can to, as Rachel said, you know, make sure that we can sort of quickly diffuse that embarrassment or that feeling of being apologetic. It's the shop owners, it's us at Blister or whatever, to just help educate people the best we can and just answer their questions. Because yeah, when we go into a different industry uh, and we're looking for what pots and pans and utensils to buy, and now we don't know what we're talking about, it sure would be nice if the people didn't have bring a bunch of attitude and condescension toward us. And just as a sport, I sure would like the sport of skiing and biking and all these mountain sports to not do the holier than thou, but more knowledgeable than thou. It's just such a bad look, you know, and um, can get people right off the bat kind of on the wrong foot or feeling defensive or feeling less than. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we have people who come in from, you know, anywhere that they'll say at the end, wow, that was a really wonderful experience. You took something that was, that I was pretty worried about and you actually made it fun. And, and that's our goal. That's our goal at the end of the day. This sport is fun. This business is fun. And shoot, I mean, getting that gear and get that set up, we want people to be so excited about it, you know? So that's our job. And, and we love it. All right. Time to talk about, 
and hopefully clear up a couple of misconceptions. You and I, Rachel, were talking about apparel the other day. And as somebody who ends up outfitting a whole bunch of people uh, and trying to help them be warm, you know, on the mountain and dress appropriately, I wanted to ask you just what you think some of the biggest misconceptions are, say about layering, you know, or just, or even more broadly, like how to dress when you're heading out to ski. Oh gosh, there's so many things. Um, you know, it's funny. I actually come from the apparel. I mean, really the apparel industry. I owned a Helly Hansen store for six and a half years um, previous to this. So we studied layering and all that stuff all the time. Uh, I actually kind of goes back to really the specialness of going into a shop like ours where people can ask you questions that you might not even think you wouldn't even think to ask. So for instance, we'll have people come in all the time and they're looking at jackets and and really the first question I ask someone when they're looking at jackets is I say, what, well, what are you wearing next to your skin? And they look at me like, wait, what? And, and I tell you more often than you think they say, oh, I'm wearing a t-shirt and a sweatshirt or something like that. So, uh, and the latest one that I hear all the time is, oh, I, I wear my Lululemon, you know? And and here's the deal. Lululemon is a phenomenal brand. Uh, they make an amazing product, but they do not make a product that is designed to keep you warm when you're out skiing in the elements. It actually is more designed for yoga or, you know, warm, warm areas to help move moisture uh, where you're sweating a lot, but then it's actually transferring that more. It's basically spreading that moisture. So it dries quicker. So uh, one of the things we always say in our store uh, is that we're base layer snobs and, and we are base layer snobs. Um, I will be the first to tell someone you're not going to find the most inexpensive base layer here. That's not going to keep you warm on the mountain. And we want to make sure your experience is good. So we, we have great base layers, um, you know, polypropylene, merino wool, really actual fabrics that are designed to transfer moisture. And then from there, it's just, it's a fun conversation. How can you make this fun from here? And what do you want to wear? You know, let's talk about layering. Do you want a shell? Do you want something insulated? Um, I will say we were talking about this the other day, Jonathan, uh, in that the number one reason that people will stop skiing is because their feet hurt because they're in the wrong boots. I would, I would say that a quick number two would be people stop skiing because they're cold. And that is something that can be mitigated so easily by the gear that you wear. So we just need to be smart and let people know how to layer uh, you know, and in what conditions to layer so that they have the best experience. And this, this goes back to the, the education part that we try to help customers out with. I mean, the customer that comes in and says, I'm always cold. Okay. Well, selling them a down jacket may solve that problem, but it may not. I mean, they may be cold because they work up a lot of sweat and they're consistently have a wet layer of apparel right next to their skin. And that's why what's keeping them cold. So like Rachel said, it's it's a fun conversation that we get to have with people and you almost feel like a detective at the end of every day. You're trying to ask these questions to figure out what their true needs are, what is causing them discomfort on the hill, what do they like, what do they don't like. And at the end of the day, you try and come up with a solution that's going to make their experience a little bit better out there in the cold and wet wet conditions. I'd say that for many of us, who have been doing this a while, 
we're, again, just talking in generalizations, a lot of us are kind of doing the base layer, mid layer shell. Are you able to put a kind of percentage on how many of your customers, when we're talking about people who are just kind of getting into this stuff, how many of them are buying products in that I'm going to go with a base layer, a mid layer, and a hard shell or soft shell, but kind of an uninsulated shell? Or are people, I, I understand, you know, since Rachel, you're a base layer snob, you're, you're getting them a base layer. But then will many of your customers try to just do it in two pieces as opposed to the three distinct pieces? I'll, I'll take that. I think I would probably say it's a smaller number that's going the three layering system and doing a shell. Um, people sometimes seem to be a little bit intimidated by shells and not knowing what the proper layering system is from there. And I think a lot of our demographic is skiing with not all, but I'd say a big portion of our customer is skiing with kids and families and they're a little bit older. Maybe they're not touring. They don't need that super breathable shell. So they're going to a insulated waterproof jacket that maybe they wear just a base layer with, and maybe on super cold days, they throw a thin fleece with. Yeah. So probably 60 to 70% is probably that of our customer. And it's funny. We have even, I've even talked to some of our reps that, they tell me, they're like, oh man, I'm, I'm wearing an insulated jacket this year. I broke down. I'm not wearing a shell. And then they come back two months later and they're like, oh my God, that was the best thing. It was so comfortable. It was movable. It, it was warmer. I mean, so I think so the hardcore people innately, they're wanting the shell. They're wanting the versatility. And I, I find personally, I like the versatility of being able to layer accordingly, add an extra mid layer or a thicker mid layer and or strip layers if, if it's too warm. So we're going to stay on our topic of keeping warm. But as Rachel mentioned, if, if perhaps the number one reason people kind of stop skiing is their feet get cold, Drew, you're kind of the boot guy here. Um, talk a little bit about some of the solutions that you use and that you think are effective in terms of the whole like age old question, like my feet get cold skiing. What do you do? Yeah, absolutely. So we get a, a lot of people that like everything. I mean, everyone has their craft, what they're really good at and what they may not know as much in. So when we get into overall boot fitting, there's, there's obviously a lot of variables that go into why a boot fits well, what's causing your feet to go cold. So we kind of start back at the beginning, kind of that detective work and start asking questions. Um, do you feel pressure points? What are you wearing for socks in your boots? Um, a lot of times with newer skiers and especially kids, you find, wow, they're wearing two pair of socks. And so you got to educate one pair of socks is, is okay. And maybe a thinner pair of socks is going to give your foot more circulation. So you don't have as much material in the boot. And then, I mean, we've seen people that, that tuck their base layers and their mid layer pant into the boot. So now you're creating these pressure points that is reducing circulation to your feet, causing all these other problems. And then, I mean, they make drop in foot beds that can also help mitigate cold and insulate your foot a little bit better. And the thing that we've even seen, once we know the boot fits well and they have a 
proper sock inside the boot and nothing else is impeding the foot or there's no pressure points that are causing loss of circulation, then we can actually dive into, hey, do you have circulation issues? So you need some sort of um, modern product like a heated sock or a heated boot insert um, to help keep your feet warm or, and you ask the same questions of when does this happen? How long does it take? Um, and then we can kind of dive into the heated products. If they're like, yep, my feet go cold. My boots are comfortable. This all feels great, but my feet still go cold. Um, and we've got a few different heated socks. We've got just a heated little puck insert that mounts on your footbed, a couple of those options. And, um, we have found not all heated products or heated socks are made equally. Um, there's some that socks are a little bit thicker than others. So they take up a little bit more room inside your boots. So now you're, you're maybe hurting how the boot fits and feels. Um, and I personally went through this. We tried a bunch of heated products this year, heated socks, cause I had them, we sell them, we need to know. So we went through our own little testing kind of process this, this spring and early late winter, I guess seeing which socks fit well inside my boots. And I have a semi-snug fit. And so one pair of socks that we sell is really snug. My foot went numb and it went cold because I didn't have the circulation. And so finding out how their, their boot fit is was fit and how it fits their foot is going to determine which sock or which heated product we go to. Uh, I'm not sure we've ever really talked about like heated socks or, you know, boot warmers, really like this is a whole or heated gloves. So this is kind of a whole new first, I think, for us here on Gear 30. And so I'm curious, I mean, I hear what you're saying about some heated socks. If the sock is too thick, it's just not going to work with your boot for the reasons you've already said. But aside from picking the right thickness of the sock, given your personal boot fit, what does make a one heated sock better or worse than another? Is this the application of the, like where they're laying the wires or how does this work? Yeah. So there's a couple different things that we've seen in heated socks. So some companies are doing like a heated pad, um, kind of underneath the balls of your feet up towards your toes. Um, that's got like their little coil built in. And then most of them, the cord will come out the back and kind of up your, up like your Achilles and up the back of the boot there. Some other companies are starting to do a wrapped toe heat. So where the heat comes up over the toe, so you're getting more full heat around the toes, which is usually the first thing that you feel go cold. From there, there's comfort creature features of some of them are Bluetooth. Um, you can control the heat with your phone. You can Rather than having to pull your pants up and turn the battery on and off on, on your sock, you can jump onto your phone and you can turn it to uh, motion mo mode so it knows when you're riding the chairlift to, to turn on to keep your feet warm going up the chairlift. And then it, it notices your skiing um, based off your GPS on your phone, so it turns the heat down. So there's 100 different settings on these things now that um, just show how far technology has come and in the sock world. I'm not that comfortable with a world where like socks are smarter than me. You know, I used to be able to be like, you know what? I am definitely smarter than a sock. And now I'm not so sure having heard you talk about heated socks. 
it's it's funny. I think when we first bought the shop and took over, we we sold this stuff. We sold the heated beat boot stuff, and I was like, ah, why would you need that? And you know, my feet are never that bad. You can go out and ski, and I've I've dealt with it for this many years. Why would I need to change? And then all of a sudden. One rep says, oh, you go, go try it. Here's a pair. Go try them out. See what you think. And you do. And you're kind of mind blown that day that it's 10 degrees out there and everyone around you is complaining about being cold. And you're sitting there going, what's, what's wrong with you guys? Why aren't we skiing more? Why are we going to the lodge? Yeah, it is crazy. A lot of it starts right at your feet. Um, you know, the, the other really cool thing about just heated products in general, um, yeah, there's pros and cons. The, the con is that you got to have battery chargers with you everywhere and the right ones and you got to know what connects to what um but i actually look at like my dad for instance and my dad's 72 years old and he still skis all the time but now he has you know heated socks he has heated gloves he has some he has he has the goggles that have a fan <laughs> and he has what else does he have i think he has a heated mid layer but what what is actually really cool it's kind of crazy but what's cool about it is that and we have found this a lot that as people age their circulation isn't as good and it's allowing people to stay in the sport longer and to 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 play in the sport longer so it's actually it's pretty neat he he does a lot for you too i mean people don't think about correlating their balance to the warmth and how their feet are are reacting to the cold um but your skiing ability and your balance and your reaction time is a lot of it based on the circulation of blood flow in your feet. So your feet go cold, you start to lose the balance and the ability to, to turn the skis or board in the way that you want. So you lose a little bit of performance there too. So it's just allowing people to get out there, stay out there longer, take less breaks. And I think we saw a lot of that through COVID that people were going up early skiing until they were done and skipping lunch because lodges were closed. There weren't food services. So I think these products help people stay out on the hill longer. Okay. So asking for a friend, I always am wearing like an ultra thin sock because again, I have a pretty snug boot fit. How ultra thin can a heated sock go? Or are there just inherent limitations there because you got to put heating coils and elements into a sock for those who like me have never really checked out these products like would i be a little bit out of luck if you're like if you're running quite a snug boot fit not sure it'll work or do you think there's actually a kind of quote-unquote ultra thin heated sock that you're like i bet you could pull it off i think you and i sound like we have a similar boot fit and i have found that I, I'm really happy with the sock that I've skied the whole second half of the season this year. I will say width-wise in the boot, top of your foot, it takes up no more room than your ultra thin smart wool sock. There's maybe a little bit more material over your toes that's kind of wrapping. And kind of my theory in boot fitting is that if your heel, ankle, like midfoot back is held in place, you can have a little bit totally. more room for your toes. Okay. Yeah. So I would say absolutely. There is definitely a sock out there that you can have that room. The the thermic sock that I was skiing this year, um, it it doesn't take up the same volume everywhere that some of the other brands I had skied with. Got it. Do. I'm 
high five to you, Drew, completely with you on the a great fitting ski boot, lockdown heel, snug across the instep. If we got that going, we can actually afford to have a roomier toe box. And I'd like to think that all the ski boot designers out there listening to this will continue to maybe think more about that, right? Like we we're seeing that in general as a generalization, I think, where toe boxes are getting a bit wider. I'm not sure we can say that that's universally true, but I think that that tends to be true. And my favorite fitting boots, they're not, you know, it's not my toes that are, you know, like pinched in and like wrenched. It's, um, but I've got a really snug heel pocket and then nice snug instep. Yeah. I think too many people think that they're boots need to hurt and they just need to be as tight and clamped down as possible. I mean, the best fitting boot, you can leave it snugly buckled all day, but your ankle, heel, kind of mid mid foot of your arch back and up through your lower leg, that is just rock solid. If you have room to wiggle your toes, I feel like you're going to have more circulation. Your feet are going to be warmer. You're going to have a better all overall experience on the hill. Last question. What the hell is the price range for heated socks? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, they, so the socks that we sell, I I think there's probably some cheaper stuff out there. Um, we try to carry good quality stuff and we have a a wide range. So if you wanted just a heated sock, um, no Bluetooth, kind of the mid grade lithium ion battery, you're going to be in that mid two fifty range. Um, and if you wanted the full capabilities, the high, like, and that's going to be like a seven, seven to eight hour battery. If you want like a 16, 17 hour battery, you want the Bluetooth, um, you're going to be in about that $400 range. Wow. Okay. That's the price range for heated socks. Who knew? I mean, yeah. you apparently, but, but not me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I love how this just became my own personal shopping consultation. So this was really helpful. Uh, Gear 30 just became Jonathan's uh, absolute lack of knowledge about heated socks. So, you know, there we go. That's our job. That's what we do. So sometimes we can't turn it off. So, you know. Well, hey, uh, it is the end of the day here uh, for you folks. I know for a fact, I've also been keeping you from your one-year-old and three-and-a-half-year-old. Not that you you know, told them to just go play in the woods or anything, right? Because we're not actually skiing right now. You, you only do that at ski areas, right? We've all, we've all heard. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> but, I, but I do feel bad for taking up your time. But hey, I appreciate the insight. And it's cool to hear how the season went. And um, yeah, we finally had a heated sock conversation on Blister. So what do you know? We're glad we were able to be a part of that. <laughs> no, this is always fun. We love it. We love coming on and we're, we're, we're so grateful. Uh, we're so grateful for Blister. It's such, it's such a, a great avenue for people to get unbiased reviews. It's, it's wonderful. So um, we're happy you're here too. Well, appreciate it. And good luck with everything. Good luck with some of the stuff we were talking about yesterday that we can't talk about now, but I know you guys are thinking through a lot of things and um, you had another busy winter and uh, you know, the ins and outs of running a tight ship and a good shop. These are not simple things. And so keep up the good work and um, hope to connect with you guys, whether it's 
again, me getting out into your neighborhood or you guys coming out to the summit, but one way or the other, we need to make this happen. Say hi to the kids and talk to you soon. We'll hug them for you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It is now time for our weekly What We're Celebrating segment. It is Thursday, April 28th at 11.23 p.m. And upstairs, I have waiting for me a glass of Whistle Pig Piggyback Rye Whiskey with one cube. That's what I'm going to be having in just a minute here. And what I want to celebrate today, well, Luke Coppa and I were actually down at Western Colorado University. We made an appearance in a class called Data Analysis and Experimental Methods. And we got to meet with Lauren Cooper, who is the professor of the class, Some of you know Lauren because you watched the Blister Labs session that we held at the Blister Summit. You can watch the video of that conversation on our YouTube channel. Lauren is fantastic and her students are fantastic. And Luke and I were down at Western to see some of the things that the students have been up to, some of the concepts and designs they've been working on to see if we might better understand, and maybe even improve upon some of the ways that we are currently testing water resistance and breathability or air permeability when it comes to technical garments. So that's what I'm raising my glass to. Some really sharp students that we got to meet with today and grill a little bit. And yeah, just really cool to see this outdoor industry engineering stuff taking shape and you're going to be hearing a lot more about this through blister labs or go ahead and enroll at western and you'll take classes on this stuff too so anyway this was really cool Uh, again shout out to the students and the work they've been doing and to lauren and yeah this outdoor industry engineering stuff we are cooking so that's what i want to celebrate tonight and with that We're at the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to the Hardings for the great conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon. Have a great weekend, everybody.